Good morning, Madame Dumas. The time is currently... This is Mr. Altuary, the head concierge. You asked the front desk to... Madam, this is your wake-up call. Please do not... Are you going to hang up again? All right, then. The time is 6.45. The Weekly Report To Mademoiselle Rouge, Viscountess and owner of Hotel Daydream and Reverie Estates Expedition Update First of all, I hope you are well. When you dropped by my office window earlier last week and said you were leaving town on urgent business, your tone got me rather worried. While I want to respect your privacy, I do want you to know that if anything were seriously wrong, you can always talk with me. Always. However, putting that aside, let me get you up to speed on the search for Latrice. As you know, per my last report, I reached out to several professionals who might be able to help in light of the recent basilisk development. Unfortunately, most were unavailable, as summer is the height of snake hunting season. While a questionable practice in terms of its scope, most basilisk hunters or basileers were subsequently unavailable. I managed to pull on a few strings to the discomfort of several arachnid operators, but I did succeed in getting a hold of Ushbarine, the Lithuanian goddess of land borders. She was very busy and only had a few moments to talk. I told her we had reason to suspect a basilisk had circumvented her wards guarding the borders. She didn't outright dismiss the possibility, but asked in that way that people do when they want to be nice but don't really believe you, what evidence I had. I told her about Latrice and the basilisk slither trail Hong and the expedition team found in the Crimson Forest. The spiderweb telephone line was silent for a moment. Whether out of shock or reflection, I cannot say. When Ushbarine spoke again, her voice was hushed, clandestine, with the distinct sense that she didn't want anyone else in her office overhearing her next words. How big is it, based on the trail? She asked. I said I didn't know. The expedition team, though brave and astute, are not Basileers. It then sounded like she quickly wrote something down. Better to be sure, she said. I am sending over two of my best. They helped me piece together the original spells I used to guard the borders against Basilisk entry all those years ago. I was about to thank her when she added, Lionel, if one really has gotten through, then it's more powerful than any my department has seen before. Deportation may not be an option. I paused for a moment. They are dangerous, but... There isn't room for an alternative, she said. If one was strong enough to break through our borders, then it violated interrealmal law. We can't legally... Legally, the hotel is a private institution, I said. We cannot and will not use lethal force. Even to save one of your employees? I didn't reply. 
I understand your position, she said, but not everyone shares it. There is a reason we put those border protections in place over a millennia ago. Basilisks were dangerous and still are. A few months ago, a news raven from Kellywig cawed about an entire village that had been petrified by one. My people are not exterminators, I said. Mine are, she replied. She said she would send me a smoke signal when her people were on their way. The meeting left me apprehensive. Ushbarine isn't wrong. I remember when I was working for the Hilbert Hotel back then. A slither of basilisks swept through the countryside, pursued by the local authorities. We all had to wear blindfolds to avoid being petrified by chance. I'll never forget the horrid feeling of the earth vibrating with the undulations of their serpent bodies as scores of them passed us while we sat in darkness. When the all-clear was given, the local town of Banak and Tarski was destroyed. While many had escaped petrification, the sheer mass of the slither had obliterated many homes and injured hundreds more. It was a long time ago. Nothing to be done about that tragedy now, other than avoiding another one at their hands. Or at their... Uh, fangs, I suppose. Yeah. I'll update you once Ashbarine's two agents have arrived. Guest Complaints I've issued a warning to the gentlemen staying in rooms 1650D and 1037A. The gentlemen, respectively, are one René D, the other Abu Ali al-Hassan bin Abdullah ibn al-Hassan bin Ali bin Sina al-Bahi al-Bahari, or Ibn Sina, as he is more commonly known. Both have been disturbing the other guests with their excessive noise. Specifically, the two have been reported for having loud, philosophical arguments late into the night to the disruption of the other guests' sleep and wake schedules. If their arguments were coherent, this might be excusable, but their conversations seem to revolve around truly odd statements. Something about a floating man and cog mojito arrow soon, whatever that means. None of it makes any sense to me. I ask the gentlemen either to keep their conversations to a lower volume, move them to the entropy lounge during the evening, or hold their arguments during daylight hours. The fairies and fey folk staying with us are still experiencing bouts of extreme nausea and even magical atrophy. The problem seems to stem from the Aboda Parabition. A fairy or fay may not enter a home unless explicitly invited in on penalty of becoming grossly sick and or losing their magic. The problem arises because, well, does a hotel count as a home? While a highly semantic question, the answer poses distinct consequences for not only our fey guests, but also our vampiric clients, as well as our efforts to open our doors to the ghostly and the ghoulish. Many of them have similar rules to the abode prohibition, and whatever we decide here will likely affect them all. I contacted Mugabe and Edwete in legal for help. Sadly, they explained that while terms like house abode, 
and sanctuary are clearly defined within legal precedent, what makes something a home is beyond the power of judicial jurisdiction. Which means the question, more or less, resides with you. Is the hotel a home or merely a business? Or is it something else? Please let me know your thoughts. Much hangs upon the answer. Logistics. Aquarius is back from her vacation, and Celestial O'Connor wanted to know if we have any available show openings for them. I said, maybe, but Aquarius specifically may be out of luck. I had to remind her that ever since the Constellation Savings Time four days ago, all heavenly bodies had to move three astronomical units back. That puts Aquarius below the horizon during most showtimes. She won't be in the night sky until almost 13 o'clock now. Unless she wants to start doing a late night blue comedy show, she may just have to wait until next season. The cleaning witches discovered this morning that all complimentary guest nightcaps accidentally shrunk when laundered last night. Many guests have complained about waking up in the middle of the night as their dreams had grown two sizes too small and had begun giving them compression headaches. I've already put together an order form for a set of aspirations to stretch out those dreams and get them back to their regular proportions. Sadly, some guests may have to get new dreams altogether, as the elastic in a few of theirs seems to have given out entirely. Expedition Update I saw the high pillar of smoke rising from beyond dizzying fair. The Basileers had arrived. They were waiting for me in my office. One was a robust Indian gentleman. He wore a red turban dotted with golden stars. Around the base of this turban he wore a golden crown whereupon lounged the tail of a great black cobra the rest of which sat upon his shoulders. His forehead was adorned by two red bindi, and two great golden loops hung from his ears. His face was round and strong, with a mustache finely groomed to a point. He wore a brilliant red kurta with a blue sash tied about his waist, attached to which hung the golden hilt of his curved talwar sword. Curled up on my desk was the other Basilier, a large Indian grey mongoose. He glided off the desk, observing me with intense tan eyes, whiskers twitching. His grey pelt was covered in scars. His movements were graceful, but belied a hidden ferocity. Each step, each twitch of his head, betrayed his hunting experience. It was then I couldn't help but notice the hateful look that passed between the mongoose and the cobra upon the shoulder of the Indian gentleman. But before any more could come of it, the gentleman introduced them. His name was Gogaji of Bagad Derga, protector of Rajasthan and many others. His mongoose companion was Ricky, the fifth of the Panchatantra. The cobra then interrupted with a cough. Gogaji rolled his eyes and waved a hand at the snake. Her name was Nagaina. She was about to say something when Ricky cut her off. Where was the expedition team? 
he demanded. I said I would tell them in a moment, but first, we needed to establish a few things. First, any news they gathered regarding the basilisk they needed to send to me first, before passing it on to Uzbarine. They did not like that idea. Gogaji said that wasn't how their protocols work. Something in his tone drew a strong tinge of anger into mine. This search was for a member of my hotel. She is one of my staff, and as such, I will be the first one to know anything about her whereabouts or her situation. Is that clear? I said. The room fell silent until the cobra, Nagaina, spoke up. She asked what it mattered. The basilisk would be killed either way. What did I care? I pointed out that was rather a cold position to take towards her own kin. She blinked, not responding, but not looking away either. Gogaji chimed in. Nagaina is bound to his service in exchange for having saved her life. He then added that should circumstances permit, they would gladly send me word of what they found. After a moment's thought, I acquiesced to the compromise, only adding that should they need to attack the basilisk, and as the second condition of them being here, they must send me word first. The life of one of our employees might depend on what they did. Gogaji said he would make no promises, and Ricky merely grunted. I gave them the location of the expedition team and watched them leave towards the Crimson Forest. Perhaps my demand was pointless. They are professionals. Latrice is in good hands. And yet, no matter how much I tell myself that, there lingered about that trio an unsavory air. The whisper of violence follows them. I have no doubts they can handle a basilisk. My concern is more for what collateral damage they may wreck in the process. The expedition team's mission is to bring Latrice home. The Basileers is to exterminate. I only hope the two do not come to cross purposes. Booking. I am really starting to slip up. Without a desk clerk for the morning shifts and between the search for Latrice and hiring and everything else, I accidentally gave one of our binary guests the wrong room number. Twice! I was on my third cup of coffee for the morning when a very nice piece of code named Beck came to check in. I addressed them in Python, but they primarily spoke assembly, which is not my strongest coding language. Thankfully, they knew enough of both, so we were able to struggle through the reservation check-in without too many issues. It was only after they left that I realized to my horror I had given them the wrong room number. Or rather, the, the right number, but in the wrong way. But you see, I told Beck in assembly that their room was 37J on floor 1001 not realizing that 1001, which is how I said it, is binary for the number 9. 
They were already in one of the elevators, so I had to rush up nine flights of stairs to try to catch them. Out of breath, I came upon them while they were in the midst of an argument with the occupant of room 37J on the ninth floor. To my dismay, the guest staying there was an ascendaton. They do not speak with conjunctions, and without those, most logic gates for binary folk don't make sense and... and... I was growing hysterical. I apologized to the Ascendaton and steered back away before apologizing to them as well. I explained my mistake as best I could in assembly, stating that I had given them the decimal number for their room's floor instead of the binary one. I then told them the binary number for their floor was 11111101001. They thanked me politely, but with an evident shortage of patience and got back in the elevator. I went back downstairs to the lobby thinking everything was finally fixed. It was not until about three kermits later that Hiroko popped out of the dumbwaiter in the staff room and I realized my second mistake. After unfolding herself from the confines of the dumbwaiter, Hiroko told me there was a guest wandering around the Galamafri salon looking for their room. As she began to describe the guest, I felt myself sink into the floor. I thanked Hiroko as we squeezed back into the dumbwaiter and rode back up to the Galamafri salon. There was Beck, and they made no show of hiding their annoyance. After a brief, heated exchange, I realized my second error. They mistook the binary floor number for the decimal floor number, so instead of 11111101001, they went to floor 1,111,101,001. I did not have the energy to argue with Beck. I saw them to their correct room and rang for one of the bellboys, instructed him to give Beck additional room service at whatever expense of time or resource to the hotel. Whatever they needed was on us during their stay. One of the cleaning witches, Griselda, was already in the elevator when I rode back down. The stress on my face must have been very evident. She merely cocked an eyebrow in question, and I told her everything. Everything that had just happened, along with everything else the hotel is facing trying to find an assistant manager position, feeling overwhelmed with all the work, trying to find Latrice, the ominous exchange I'd just had with Ushparine that morning, the Boxwoods public anger at the hotel, the Basileers, what to do with Ferdinand and Jacqueline, just everything. She nodded, listening with a weathered expression. I felt so hollow when I finished talking. I could feel my exhaustion echo inside when I had nothing more to say. I felt so close to tears. Griselda did not say a word and took me in a big hug. It lasted all the way down to the lobby. She gave me a small smile as I stepped off. She then gave me a slap on the back that nearly hurled me across the lobby as the elevator doors closed. I dusted myself off with a laugh and went back to the front desk when one of the bellboys, Tomas, stopped me. Take a break, he said. Paperwork needed to be done, guests needed to be checked in, but he was right. I took a few minutes to sit in the cavern under the swimming pool. 
It was quiet and cool. The only sound was the hushed flicks of playing cards as a few golems played bridge. The stillness let my mind wander. The first such occasion in goodness knows how long. I thought about Latrice, somewhere out in the woods. I shivered at the thought. How frightened she must be. Trapped by that colossal creature that could turn her to stone at a moment's notice, or wither her away with a single breath. It must be awful. It is a wonder those beasts have not killed each other off with how lethal their presence is. One glance and your friend would be stone. Basilisks must be solitary creatures. They would have to be for their own survival. Imagine that. Your very body is the thing that isolates you from everyone else. Friends, family, the world. If they were not so horrid, I might call that tragic. I suppose even if they are, that is a terrible fate. Did they deserve it, do you think? What kind of misdeed would you have to do to befall such a terrible curse? I wonder. I wonder what they were like before. Were they vicious? Were they powerful? Were they kind? I cannot imagine living with that kind of fear. Fear of yourself, of everyone else. Afraid that at a moment's notice, you might irreparably harm someone you loved. It is enough to make one desperate. You would be left on your own to face the burden of each new day. No one to help you. No one who even could. And all the while, the world calling you a... A monster. That doesn't seem fair. I... One of the bellboys just handed me something. Oh, he looks rather anxious. What? When did she arrive? Just now? Well, of course let her into the lobby. I don't care what she looks like. Go! A woman has just emerged from the Crimson Forest, and she is carrying Latrice. That's all I know. I, 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 I will send you an addendum once I know more. Respectfully yours, Lionel. Hotel Daydream was voiced and written by Stephen Kausler. Our theme music was written by John Divin. Additional music in this episode was by Sergei Quadrado, Black Pie Beats, Music Unlimited, William King, Bine Lelius, J. Plenio, and T.R.G. Banks. You can find the links to these artists in the show notes. Transcripts for each episode can be found on the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hotel daydream or follow the link down in the show notes. If you have enjoyed the show, consider reserving a room with us on our Patreon. Guests at the hotel get access to all sorts of things, including shout-outs at the end of each episode. Today, the hotel would like to recognize Danny the Spoon Lord, Gus Sanchez, Maggie B, Asher Klein, and Danny Denise. Thank you for supporting the hotel. I hope you have enjoyed your stay, 
एंड थैंक यू फॉर लिसनिंग